Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 13th day of December 2023. Happy, glorious Wednesday to you, halfway to the weekend. Lots of people very excited about the uh, Rolling Stone signed book, Bill Wyman's autograph in it on a book plate. You can see it at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Check it out, sign up, and uh, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Somebody's going to win. Why not you? And I tell you, I wish I could accept bribes. I wish I could be like one of those guys who are like, well, this person's got a sad tale of woe or this person's promising me. I just don't have it in me. So the <laughs> people have emailed and say, hey, we, uh, how about this? Or I want, and I can't help you. I can't help you. It's the luck of the draw, the luck of the Irish. It's all there is to it. So I understand. If you, I'll tell you this though. I'll change the rules for this because so many people, like really, really, I don't know so many people, but the people who really, really want this book, really, really want this book. And uh, so I will go away from the one man, one vote and say uh, the uh, you can, for five bucks, you can buy another entry, right? Or you can buy as many entries as you want, I suppose, for five bucks a piece. But if you want to go that route, you don't have to go through Patreon. If you just do the uh, PayPal for five bucks, you'll get an, your extra name in the hat. I can't, I can't guarantee who's going to pull what out of it. But uh, the PayPal is DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. D-E-R-E-K-A-L-L-A-N-H-U-N-T-E-R at gmail.com. Five bucks per entry. And that way, I guess if you're not even in the... Uh, if you're not a member, you can enter that way too. That's the best I can do because people are like, they're, they're not offering me a ton of stuff, but they're like, can I get more? What I, This would mean a lot to me. Can I do? I can't help you. I can't. I can't because if I pick, then it becomes not a, a lucky draw. It becomes a make your pitch to me. And no offense, no contest should be that way. It, then you uh, end up wondering, is this person lying? Is it become a creative writing exercise or is it a real testimonial of things? I'm not going to ask for, you know, notarized statements from witnesses to verify whatever story you're trying to tell. I can't do that. I can't get into that. It is, at the end of the day, just an autographed book. But um, so that is as far as I can go. You can you can enter as many times as you like on this one, five bucks a piece, uh, and you do it through PayPal. If you don't have PayPal, I don't I don't really have anything else other than PayPal. So um, I don't know what to tell you. Get PayPal, <laughs> but otherwise, just enter and take your chances. It's it's a cool thing. It's a heavy ass book, but it is. Um, I can't think of a way to do it any other way, and I can't. I'm not going to rig it for you. No matter how much I like you, no matter how much we've corresponded in the past, whatever it is, I can't do it. Because once that is breached, once that trust is breached, then it's gone forever. So, no. It's a luck of the draw, name in the hat, kids pull out the name. Maybe I'll film it this time. But eh, we'll see. 
depends. All right, so there you go. Let us get on with the program, and let's talk about the death of standards, shall we? The end of standards. You might be sick of hearing about this, and I might be sick of talking about it, but it is important because standards matter, or at least they did. Merit should matter, but it doesn't anymore. The uh, president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, apparently she's somehow LGBTQ, I don't know, but she's married to a dude that I saw, a white dude. So she, you know, like, oh, there's a horrible racism in this country, blah, 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 blah. And then she goes and marries a white dude. The guy's name, I can't remember, Christopher Alafonso Didis or whatever the hell her name. I don't know. He's an unfortunate dude. They deserve each other. They're probably both wildly insufferable. But it is just one of those things in the hierarchy of how the left works and how, sadly, the left works one way, the culture kind of works that way. Um, because Not because the majority of people agree with it. It's probably 10% of the population are dumb enough to buy into all this crap. But because the left controls institutions that set these things, right? So if Hollywood is adopting something, it's not very popular. It doesn't mean it's you know, got a lot of support, but it will have an impact because it's Hollywood. Music, same thing. Television, same thing. Media, same thing. Very small percentage of the population. Nazis were a very small percentage of the population, too. And they managed to impose their will on everybody else. So you can uh, have majority support and still be losing ground in the culture wars. And that is what we're seeing here. Now, this is academia. It's a little bit even more insulated than that. But Claudine Gay has been credibly accused of plagiarism in both her dissertation and her very, very limited academic writings throughout her career. She has been less published than, I, I don't know, I haven't seen a single university president, except for maybe a community college, who has published less scholarly works than Claudine Gay. But she happens to not be white. So she's got that going for it. It's a win-win for diversity or something like that. <laughs> I can't keep up with these leftists and their standards. But with all of this evidence and her disastrous testimony, disastrous testimony in her refusal, not an ability. Some people are portraying this as an inability or her unwillingness. It was a refusal. Refusal to condemn calls for Jewish genocide. She survived. She will continue to survive. Now, who knows what tomorrow holds, but this story, uh, Claudine Gay will stay on as president of Harvard University. The school's governing board announced on Tuesday, despite an uproar over her evasive answers at a congressional hearing about campus anti-Semitism. They were not evasive answers. She wasn't interested. She refused to condemn anti-Semitism. She has made her career and her name and gotten her job because of her skin color and her whining about racism and sexism in this country and anti-gay stuff. That's what she's done. That's what she's known. 
for. Her limited academic papers have universally been not about academics, but about the black experience and oppression. It is. It's Spanish fly to the left. The so-called academics who read this stuff, I'm sure their nipples became erect as they read this and said, we've got to get this woman in a major university. Now, honestly, the plagiarism allegations should be seriously investigated and quickly. There's no real ambiguity there. Either you ripped somebody off or you didn't. And uh, you either cited it properly or you didn't. And it sure as hell looks like she didn't. And as such, her PhD should be revoked if there are to be academic standards at Harvard. But there aren't. I read somewhere the average grade at Harvard, the median grade, meaning there's as many grades above it as below it, is an A at Harvard. I don't know if it was comedy or commentary, but it was, you. what was it, a few years ago? I guess it was more than a few years ago now when I worked at the Heritage Foundation, probably 2004, 2005, somewhere in there, Yale Law School announced that they would no longer be giving grades or whatever. You're, basically, everybody's getting an A. The only, um, the only thing that mattered in Yale Law School was getting in. The only place where there were so-called standards, now I'm sure those have changed and been collapsed by then too, but it was you get in. The hurdle, the only hurdle for between you and practicing law, getting a law degree from Yale, was getting in to Yale Law School. You could not fail out. They believed that since you got in, you could do and would do the work and should be rewarded for existing inside of Yale Law School. I remember Ed Meese, former Attorney General Ed Meese, and I talked briefly about this at an event, and he was disturbed at what had become of his alma mater. But this is the way of academia. This is the way of elite academia. The people who get in, by and large, are the children of elite. There's not too many. They always say, oh, this person is a success story. Came from nothing. Got to Harvard Law School. Yeah, okay, you got to Harvard Law School. You got to Yale Law School. Or I guess not Harvard. Harvard, whatever. Uh, the you got to Yale Law School, got to this massive uh, Ivy League university, whichever one it was, it doesn't matter. They're all interchangeable. And they highlight this person. Look at this. Look at this. Well, ninety nine percent of the rest of the class are the offspring of the snobs who fund the university. They are diversity entrants. They are legacy entrants. They are daddy named a wing in a building after himself so this kid could get in sorts of people. And that's what the world is. That's how the world is. It's sad and pathetic, but it's true. It was the beginning of the death of standards, and there was outrage at the time. I remember there being some outrage at the time, but then it went away. Then it went away. It was accepted. This is wrong. It should not. All right. Well, moving on. Yawn. What else you got? That's what. That's why the left wins. First of all, we are too easily distracted. We don't pay enough attention to what matters. Standards matter. Merit matters. Without them, we're screwed. You're going to go to a doctor. Now, this is you know a lot of medical schools across the country are admitting 
students, not based on their MCAT scores, not based on anything other than their skin color. Oh, that's mean, Derek. How can you say that? Well, I don't really, if it's a factor, it's the only factor, to be honest with you. If it's a, you're either in based on your ability to do the job or you're not in based on your ability to do the job. You're in based on off something else. If you're in based off of something else, I don't want you practicing medicine anywhere near me. I don't want you having anything to do with anything near me. But this is where we're going. Celebrate diversity. Are you going to go? Do you care? I don't know the last, when was the last time I went to a, a white doctor? I don't remember, but I go to the people who are recommended to me. I guess I mean, my friend is a white doctor, but I, he lives in New Jersey. I go to doctors who are recommended to me by other people, and I go to doctors who are covered in my insurance. I don't sit around and go, I'm, my, my primary care physician, I honestly have no idea how to pronounce the guy's name. I got nothing when it comes to pronouncing his name. I'm not even in the same uh, hemisphere of reality when it comes to pronouncing this guy's name. But he's good. And I like him. And he takes my insurance. So that's how I go through it. Like, I don't know how to pronounce this guy. It's, it's hey, doc. It's doctor, doc, doc, whatever. I don't know. Uh, and it doesn't matter that I don't know how to pronounce his name. It shouldn't matter. And it shouldn't have been a factor. Now, he's old enough that it wasn't a factor when he got into medical school. But it shouldn't be a factor for anything in life. Yet it is everywhere. It's uh, it's not not Project Veritas. Whatever James O'Keefe's new venture is called. I can't think of what it's called. It doesn't really matter. I want to play you. They came out with a new investigation today along these lines, over at IBM, International Business Machines, I think is what IBM stands for, or at least used to, one of the largest companies in the world. Their president is on tape in a video chat, leaked internally, and thank God for people, again, having some standards and some balls to record these things and release them to the world so we can see behind the curtain and just see how evil the left really is. IBM expressly hires based on skin color and quotas, racial quotas. And if you are in the hiring process and you do not adhere to these standards or do not meet the percentage goals, you will not get your bonus and you will probably be fired. Now let that sink in. We, and you'll hear him in the tape. He wants 13.5% uh, whatever black employees. Well, what if there's not a whole lot of, well, there, maybe there's not a whole lot of qualified black people in that particular class. Maybe a whole bunch of black people don't want to work for IBM. IBM is kind of antiquated. I, you know, some people are probably surprised IBM is still around. Maybe they prefer to go to startups in Silicon Valley or whatever, do computer programming for younger, hipper companies rather than stodgy old IBM. It doesn't matter. If you... They'd rather not have somebody in a position. And if I were holding IBM stock, I'd be like, well, I need to dump this because this is a horrible way to do business. And the board decides to hire this jackass. It tells you something about the board, too. And I would just kind of walk away from it like, I don't want anything to do with this. Merit doesn't matter. 
Find me 13% black people. And oh, by the way, Asians don't count as minorities at IBM. Now, the president of IBM happens to be Asian, but that's beside the point. He's Indian, but the, the grand scheme of continental names, it's considered Asian. Anyway, listen to this. So we take underrepresented and gender. You got to move both forward by a percentage. That leads to a plus on your bonus. By the way, if you lose, you lose part of your bonus. I'm not trying to finesse this. So for blacks, we should try to get towards 13 point something percent. On Hispanics, you got to get into the mid-teens. So let me say it. Asians in the U.S. are not an underrepresented minority in a tech company. James O'Keefe here outside of IBM's corporate headquarters in Armonk, New York. An IBM insider has provided us with an internal video showing the CEO of IBM, Arbin Krishna, using coercion to fire people and take away their bonuses unless they discriminate in the hiring process. Let me go deeper in the red hat. Multiple leaders over the last year plus that were held accountable to the point that they're no longer here at Red Hat because they weren't willing to live up to the standards that we set in this space. This conversation takes place every single day and in a lot of it's behind the scenes they terminated executives that didn't discriminate yet another violation of title 7 one of the biggest companies in the world one of the most valuable and recognizable brands on earth and there you go that is what liberalism gets you that is the essence of liberalism i don't care who can do what get me what you now if this were the captain of your ship if you owned a boat and this was the guy you hired to and again i don't want the best i don't want anybody i don't even want whether or not they can do the job to really be a consideration i suppose you know because you can't look there's just certain people certain numbers of people and the math doesn't necessarily work out there are certain numbers of people in colleges who are majoring in certain sorts of things and therefore getting the knowledge required for these jobs or currently in these positions that you could pilfer from somewhere. There's a limited number of people, the vast majority of whom happen to be Asian. That's just how it works. I didn't create it. I don't really even care about it. But if you're just going to be honest about it, it is. Now, why would you do this? Why would it be? Why is it that one group or one ethnicity is, quote, see, that's the way you the left looks at it. They don't think, well, what is it about these, this group of people that attracts them more to these professions? The left automatically ascribes horrible, heinous, evil motivations for it. There aren't more of this group or more of that group in these fields because of racism, because of bigotry, because of this, because of that. I don't actually know whether or not, all I know is that the left will tell you that this group or that group is underrepresented and that Asians are overrepresented in, uh, in tech, in technology and what have you. But I never hear about evil whitey. It's one of those things where evil whitey is responsible for everything wrong in the world. But when they you look at the numbers like, okay, evil whitey is hoarding all the money and keeping all the off-white people down. And then you go, wait a second, Asians, Indians, people from the, like all these, the whitey is like number six as far as average income goes in this country. That is, um, that's not winning. That's not keeping everybody down. That's keeping almost everybody down. If whitey were so evil and the system were designed to keep anybody not white down, then one would have to assume that white people would be number one, right? Now, the left always circumvents this when you're talking about average income per capita, 
Whitey's like number six. But when you look at the whole pie and you just go the amount of wealth in a country, the white people have more than everybody. It's not fair. Well, there are more white people. Of course, the white people are going to have more. If everybody, regardless of color, had a dollar, white people would have more dollars because there's more white people. It's a stupid way to make the argument, but you have to make the argument in a stupid way when you don't have the facts and reality on your side. What is it I say? It should be on a t-shirt. When you control the unit of measure, you control everything. When they decide to go from per capita to, or average income to total, then it changes the dynamic, it changes the sample, it changes the argument. It makes it so the left can make their argument. That's what they care about. They don't care about the facts. Facts don't mean a damn thing. So you can go to IBM and be a man of Indian descent and sit there and talk about all this horrible oppression and you need to wait, wait a second. If the system is rigged against people who aren't white, wouldn't your ass not even be in the mailroom? You can't bring that up. There's no way. How dare you do that? So when you look at the president of Harvard, she was not hired from her for her academic excellence. She was not hired for her academic ability. She was hired because she's black and she's a woman. It's a twofer in the hierarchy of progressivism. I'm sure uh, she has uh, dabbled in alternative lifestyles and what have you at some point in her past as well. So it's a threefer. It is how the left works. What are you? Not who are you. Who are you matters. Who are you is individualized to each person and does involve what you have accomplished. What are you has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you whatsoever. It's disturbing. It's disgusting. It's progressive. And that's how these people operate. That's how all of these people operate. And this is why they need to desperately, definitely, most definitely be destroyed. But it's not just the other side that is the problem. I'm not, I, I, a lot of people email me going, oh, did you watch UFC this? Um, apparently, like every weekend, there's some sort of UFC. I don't watch UFC. I don't like UFC. I like boxing. You can't really find good boxing on TV anymore. HBO used to do boxing, then they walked away from it. Showtime used to do boxing. Maybe they still do. I don't think they do. I don't have Showtime anymore. But when I did, my friend Todd would come over and we'd watch boxing. It is the sweet science. Now, it's ultimately still watching two guys try to beat the hell out of each other. But it is a skill-based endeavor as much as it is brutality. Whereas I find UFC to be just this side of a bar fight. It's bar fight with bare minimum amount of glove. They put the glove. I remember when UFC started and it was like, no, it's just two guys beating the crap out of each other. And then it got too brutal and too bloody. So they put little bitty gloves on people. It's still brutal. Every once in a while, I, I can watch it, I suppose, but it's not, it's not like I recoil in horror. God knows I've seen my share of fights in my life. Played hockey, grew up in Detroit. You were involved in lots of fights. But it is... I don't know, kneeing, kicking, most of it. I tell you, the, the main thing I hate about it is the grappling. That's the 
okay, they're, they're throwing punches, they're throwing kicks. When they're kicking each other's shins, I'm just sitting there going, what the hell, what are you doing? But then they, they wrestle, and then they're down on the ground. It's a five-minute round where they're down on the ground, and like, okay, this is boring as hell. The brutality, meh. But the boringness, I can't forgive. The referee comes in in boxing when they're hanging on each other and says, all right, break it up. This is a boxing match, not a bathhouse. Let's go. They should do the. If they did that in, all right, you take them to the ground and you've got 30 seconds that starts the second you're on the ground for one of you to break an arm or get somebody into submission or whatever. And if you don't, 30 seconds is up. The ref comes in and says, all right, break it up, get back up and fight again. Then I might watch it. Then I might have an interest in it. But watching two dudes greased up, rolling around is, you know, I didn't even experiment with that crap in college. It was no interest of me then and is no interest to me now. But that being said, it is wildly popular, and I acknowledge that it's wildly popular. And uh, Dana White has become a billionaire because of it. And he's also become a darling of the right because he hangs around with President Trump. He brings President Trump to events. President Trump gets standing ovations. And then all the uh, conservative media goes, oh, look at this. This means something. It doesn't mean anything. It means less than the giant pile of mashed potatoes that Richard Dreyfuss put together in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It doesn't mean anything. But that being said, it's like saying, well, look at the crowd at a Trump rally. Okay, well, the Trump rally, you know what you're getting into. Walk into a mall and get a standing ovation like that. Then you've got something. But anyway, Dana White made a deal for UFC to not that long ago and after the Dylan Mulvaney controversy with Bud Light to make Bud Light the official partner of the UFC. Now, at the time, conservatives were fighting the good fight. Again, they still are. We still are. Against the trans agenda. And Bud Light was the face of it. Bud Light had, we had impact against Bud Light. We're still having impact against Bud Light. And then UFC signs this deal with Bud Light. The UFC is thought of as, oh, it's conservative. And Dana White was thought, oh, he's conservative. He's not. Anybody you see, how did I put this in Twitter? Because I think I put it absolutely right. And I'll just uh, play, I agree with me, as it turns out. Uh, Said, if you ever thought any of these people were motivated by anything other than money, you're a sucker. They talk a good game and live a different way. He sat down with Tucker, who's now got his own subscription site to watch, pay for what you were watching for free. Um, he sat down with Dana White and talked about Bud Light. And listen to them laugh about this and listen to them joke around about it. Now, remember how outraged certain people, even Tucker, was when the Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light thing first broke and how disgusted and how motivated people were. And now it's kind of reduced to a punchline, and the UFC is the president of the UFC, this guy who everybody thought of as, he's a conservative, he's a conservative. Well, there's enough money there that I can put the principles that I used to profess aside, or at least on this issue, put aside. Let me tell you what, if you consider yourself a patriot, right, you're a patriot, you should be drinking gallons of Bud Light. Believe me when I tell you. Wait, wait, wait. I should be boycotting. I should be boycotting Bud Light. Gallons of Bud Light. You should have Bud Light drums stacked up in your garage and drinking it right out of the keg. Uh, 
they are way more aligned with you than most of these other beer companies are. That I guarantee you. Take it from somebody who's in the know, who does business with beer companies. You are way more aligned with Bud Light than you are with so I'm any assuming, other beer company. I mean, they didn't come into partnership with you by accident. No. Obviously. We had multiple did bidders they, on the table. Did they seek you out? We had multiple bidders on the table. They were one of them. And as I, you know, history has shown me with relationships that I've had with other beer companies, I, who lean more this way, yep. I, who consider myself a patriot, I don't go crazy over the whole patriot thing, but I consider myself a proud American. I'm happy to be an American. I love this country. And you are way more aligned with Anheuser-Busch than you are with other beer companies. I don't go crazy with the patriot. I'm a patriot, but I don't go crazy with the patriotism, the contempt that he is expressing for other people. I don't go, look, I go to CPAC sometime, gone in a while, thank God, but you go to CPAC and you see the people dressed up in these ridiculous costumes, and you're like, I would never dress like that, whatever. It's not a matter of, you know, degrees, patriotism, and I agree, I believe that those people are patriots, they just express it in a way that is completely different than any way in which I would express it. But, to sit there and go, I'm not, I don't go overboard with my patriotism. I don't, I'm a patriot to a certain extent, but everything in that should be offensive to you. Drink gallons of Bud Light. Well, we don't go overboard. Bud Light is more aligned with you than everything. Okay, it's a matter of degrees. Bud Light was supporting genital mutilation of children, all right? Was embracing the genital mutilation of children and funding the poster child for the bogus trans music mu movement, giving him what, like $100,000 or whatever it was, and unrepentantly doing that. And then also insulting their, remember the head of Bud Light's advertising was like, we want to get away from these jockey kind of douchey guys, insulting their client base, which is also in the Venn diagram of things, a big overlap with the people who absolutely love UFC. But they wrote a big enough check to Dana White. And Tucker, honestly, sitting there giggling about it, is in on the joke. Okay, man, all right. It was useful then. Now we need to get back to business. We need to get money. No, you stand on principle or you don't stand on principle. If, you, if your principled stand has an expiration date, um, because, well, that was a long time ago, and nothing has changed. But you were you know, the principles haven't changed allegedly. If you if it has an expiration date, you don't really have principles there. You have virtue signaling. You have peacocking. You want to know why we lose so many of these fights? It's because the people who are supposed to pay attention to them, whose job it is to pay attention to them, aren't paying attention to them. They go off and get you distracted on other things. Either they're bought off, they're paid off, they never meant it in the first place. Whatever it is, they move on without resolution. The left stays laser-focused on things. They can laser-focus on a lot of things simultaneously, but they continue to fight on all of these things simultaneously. They don't let things go. Grudges, you go back 20 years and look what the left was fighting for then, and you'll find them if they haven't won it, they're still fighting for it today. The perfect example of how the right works is, and we tried a few times to repeal Obamacare, but it didn't work out. Moving on. Moving on. That's it. 
whose camp even Donald Trump, who campaigned the first time on repealing and replacing Obamacare, has paid lip service to. I want to replace Obamacare, but that's not a major platform. People have become used to it. The problem with Obamacare wasn't just that it was going to screw up the individual insurance market and the employer-provided insurance market in an attempt to collapse those to try and shovel more people into government-provided health care, that it was a step on the road to socialized medicine. The main problem with Obamacare was it was the federal government involving itself in a way it never had before in the health insurance industry to begin with. The federal government has no constitutional role in this. They have no constitutional power. The Constitution grants the government power. It protects us from government. The Constitution lays out exactly what the government can do, and this is not in there. It is a massive government overreach. It is the camel's nose and under the tent in this industry. And this is how the government does it. They get involved a little bit and then more and more and more. And the next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. They're inside and it's game over. The concept was wrong. But people got used to it. People get used to a whole lot of things. Doesn't make it right. And so now Republicans who are always terrified of the prospect of being responsible for health policy in this country, even though Democrats constantly blame them for it, they had plausible deniability because they just ran away like a a girl from a spider every time it was out there. Now they looked at it and said, if we repeal and replace, we're going to own this. People are used to it now. People don't hate it as much. People will sit around and bitch about how much their health care costs, how much their premiums have gone up. They won't connect those dots anymore like they did in the immediate aftermath of its passage within two years when it was starting and premiums were skyrocketing and Obama had promised $2,500 per family savings and they never materialized and it was about $1,000 to $1,500 in the other direction and more costs. They connected those dots. That was the time to repeal. It's too late now. People now are mad at their insurance companies for charging more, not at the federal government for adding in all sorts of regulations and mandated coverages that drove up the costs to begin with. The disconnect has been made. The left has won because the right never really fought for it. They campaigned on it. They never really fought for it. To fight for it, you'd have to continually try to repeal. You'd have to also constantly do what I just did in the last couple of minutes, which is educate the public. Just put it in basic terms. Here's what it is. You can have all the academic research to connect the dots behind the scenes at the 200-foot level, but at the 10,000-foot level, you have to be able to convey what the problem is. And Republicans don't do it. They walk away. They give up. The real question is, just like Tucker and Dana White, did they ever meet it in the first place? Or was it just a good campaign slogan? Depends, I guess, on the individual member. Neither option's particularly good. Anyway, that is enough for today. I say we've reached our uh, 30-minute-plus mark, and therefore I shall go about my business on this Wednesday. Don't forget patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you want to, maybe I'll come up with, like, secondary prizes if people are going to enter. We'll see how many people enter. And then maybe I'll dig up a couple other, like, first prize, second prize, or other prizes that we can do multiple drawings. I like to give stuff away. 
And I like to thank people. I can't thank everybody. I can't give everybody a book. I don't have that many books, but I can, I can come up with something. So uh, if you want to enter it's, uh, and you don't want to join, which, you know, that's fine. You don't have to. You can, it's five bucks an additional entry through PayPal. So whatever you send me, I'll divide by five and print up and cut up. And we'll have a big bowl of names and the girls will, uh, well, one girl will pick. Well, I have to have a drawing to see which girl we'll get to pick. And we will award things um, on Tuesday of next week. And I'll get them in the mail. So hopefully you can get them for Christmas and what have you. I'll, I'll have more details. I'm making this up as I go along. But the PayPal is DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. You can shoot me an email to test it to uh, D-E-R-E-K-A-L-L-A-N-H-U-N-T-E-R. Exceedingly long because every other makeup of my name by the time I got Gmail was taken by jerks. So that's what you get. Appreciate you listening. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow.